Welcome to The Shift, the podcast that empowers you to make a change in your life and chase your dreams with passion and purpose. If you are tired of feeling stuck in a life that doesn't fulfill you, if you have big dreams and ambitions but struggle to turn them into reality, if you want to break free from self-doubt and limited beliefs, Join us every week to listen to inspiring stories from regular people just like you, actionable insights, and the motivation you need to make the shift towards your own dreams. And please don't forget to share, subscribe, and leave us a review to help spread the message and inspire others. Hey guys, welcome to the next episode of the show, The Shift. Today I have one of my good buddies and good friends, Will Marlowe. Hey, Will, how's it going? Hey, Eugene. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. Hey, so today we're going to be talking about a few things. Will recently has opened up his own company. He's done and he's doing a lot more things than that. He's also investing in real estate. He has a few podcasts of his own. And we're going to dive deeper into actually how he transformed. We're going to dive deeper into how he transformed his life. So Will, welcome to the show. I'm really glad to be here. This is fun. You and I have done some business together on, in some other capacities. It's always, it's interesting to meet in this new, this new format. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm looking forward to our conversation and I hope uh, the shifters our listeners will also enjoy it as well. well. I can't promise you anything on that, but I hope so, <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> All right. One of the questions that I always you know, like to ask people who come to the show, one of the first questions is, tell us about who you are and uh, what you do at the moment and what was your life looked like before you, you became an uh, entrepreneur? Sure. So it's kind of a tough question to answer. So I want to kind of go back to the maybe to the beginning of my career. I've been an entrepreneur almost. I mean, I think of myself as having been an entrepreneur almost my whole life. But I went to college four years in Virginia. I worked on Capitol Hill. So my start was actually in politics. I was press secretary for two members of Congress for about four years. And then while I was on Capitol Hill, it was around the time that fundraising technology was being kind of revolutionized with peer-to-peer -peer donations and peer-to-peer -peer fundraising campaigns. And so I, along with a partner, co-founded a company that created a software platform for higher education and for secondary schools, so K through 12 schools and, and universities, to be able to raise money doing peer-to-peer -peer alumni fundraising campaigns. So I guess I was, so I was about three years out of college when I started doing that because we planned it for maybe a year or so before doing, before I left Capitol Hill. And so I actually have the experience of having, and this, this will date me a little bit. I planned the business in 2007 and then I had to execute on it in 2008. And so I still remember when Lehman Brothers crashed and investment got really expensive. And so we planned on, if we planned on say $3 million in capital, we could only raise one and a half million basically. And 
the uh, so that really forced us to rethink things and we still moved forward. It was a good company. It was eventually acquired. And then from there, I founded this company, which is an ad agency. So the ad agency, and I can talk about sort of the when I, when I decided to continue being an entrepreneur as well, because there's a bit of an interesting kind of story there. But the ad agency is really something I'm very passionate about because it's a great team. I love building teams. It's 25 people and we are doing digital ads, which is a very high growth area. And so that has been now, this is the longest company I've really been a part of. So it's about, about 10 years now that I've been doing the ad agency. I've got a couple oh, wow. other ventures as well we can talk about, but that's kind of in a nutshell, my story and sort of journey in entrepreneurship. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's just pause for a second. Okay. And go back to the time when you were at the Capitol Hill yeah. and you were working in a side business, right? Yeah. Uh, the educational platform. So let's go back to that time for a second. Tell me more about the time when you realized that you wanted to do something bigger than just being at, you know, at the Capitol Hill. Yeah. How did that idea yeah. come about? Like what was going through your mind at that time when you were like, started thinking, okay, I don't want to do what I do. I want to do something else. So how did you come about, about that specific idea? Why that idea? Right. And how did you prepare yourself? Well, okay. So to answer your last question first, I did not prepare myself <laughs> very well. I was young. I was in my 20s. It was a great moment where I knew that I knew that I had the freedom to do a relatively risky venture. And so from a timing perspective, that was always in my mind. Now, it was a very emotional decision, though, in a lot of ways. And, and by emotional, I mean, it was very difficult because... I really wanted to stay on Capitol Hill for a long period of time. And I had gotten, I had some wonderful mentors on Capitol Hill. I was on a senior track uh, of employment, which is, which, and it took me a, a lot of hard work to get on that senior track. Most people on Capitol Hill, they stay for two years and then they leave. And so I always knew that if I could just stay longer than two years, I would no longer, I would be kind of separated from that. And so, and that's sort of how it worked. After about a year and a half or so, I got a really good promotion. I had great responsibility. And so, and almost exactly when that happened, I started having this idea for building the company. It was called Alumni Fidelity. And it started to just grow on its own. I pulled a partner in to work on it with me uh, on the side. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And we got more and more interest. And it so it wasn't a question of me wanting to leave Capitol Hill. It was really a question of just seeing how big an opportunity there was with creating this other company. And so from that standpoint, I really just, it was kind of this, just a very difficult decision that ultimately I, I, I made. The thing that I learned in putting together the plan for Alumni Fidelity was simply that on Capitol Hill and in politics and in, and in uh, government, you don't have the freedom to design uh, 
a system. You have to work within the system they have. It's inherently limiting. You have to make a lot of sacrifices and the, the rewards can be great. I mean, it can be great to be there, but, uh, but as I was planning it out, it just got more and more exciting to the idea of, of creating this on our own. And every time I would, we would have these great ideas, just the fact that we were able to implement them without having to go through bureaucratic red tape, it just made it much, much easier to be able to leave. So that was the thing that got me excited was just the fact that there was another way of, of creating a career that you don't have to deal with interest groups and voters and all this stuff that really on Capitol Hill, just to give maybe one little anecdote. I, I would have to write speeches and not every speech is going to be Winston Churchill trying to get people ready to to fight Hitler. Some speeches are just a the thousandth way of saying that, isn't it great that it's the 4th of July now? No, that's, <laughs> you can only think of another way to say that uh, so, so many times. Yeah, totally. I yeah. would like, I actually would like to get the list of 25 ideas. How do you say that? Like, it's not as entertaining as it sounds. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, so then the next, for me, the other kind of transition period that I think is maybe worth sharing is uh, after Alumni Fidelity. So I, I loved Alumni Fidelity. It was a great experience, great business. It was very different than what I did late, what I've done since then. But after doing Alumni Fidelity, I remember very clearly thinking to myself, if I do another business, which I, I did want to do, it has to be something where I can determine the quality of the product. So with Alumni Fidelity, I raised capital, I hired developers. It was a fundamentally, I mean, it was a software company. It was a software as a service business model. And so therefore the superstars should be the developers and the programmers and the, co the coders and all of that. For me as a co-founder, as the founder who has a marketing background and at that time, I didn't have a great marketing background, frankly. There was only so much that I could do during challenging moments. And I didn't like that feeling. I really wanted, I remember reading how Warren Buffett, when he started his investment partnership, he and his partners basically said, if they're ever in debt or they're ever behind in their goals, all the partners have to work 12 to 18 hours a day until that's no longer the case. And mm -hmm. they said, when your business has that attitude as the ingrained from the beginning, it's very hard to imagine failing. And I agree with that. I think, however, I would also say that that wouldn't help if it's a software company and you're not a software developer. And so my next business was very consciously picked to be a business that is a services business where I am an expert in the service. That's why I became an, why I created an ad agency after the, the software company. I did love the software business. I, there was a lot I loved about that. I really wanted the feeling that I could control the my destiny with, uh, with the product. No, that's great. I think it goes back to, uh, it goes back to the thing, like building your life in your, on your own terms, right? Like you don't want to be, you want to be independent, right? You want to have freedom. You want to do what you, what you want to do and not what you, you've been told. Yeah. So 
I think it's great. And I actually do want to go back one more time to the educational platform, this house business that you created in the past. You mentioned that you've been doing capital raising. All of the things that you've been doing for that company were while you, you were still while you were still working for the while you were still working working at the at the Capitol Hill, right? Well, I don't know if all of it would have been while I was there. I planned out the business while I was there, and mm-hmm. I, I would need to really rack my brain to think of exactly where the company was. I don't know if we had had fully shipped the product by the time I quit to work. I think we had done one initial round of fundraising, so maybe a few hundred thousand dollars. It was a very classic model of startup where I, my business partner and I moved in together and <laughs> it, was a, it, was, it was a little hotbed of productivity, right. um, working 24 hours a day and all that. So I, so I wouldn't say, so I worked on Capitol Hill for about four years and about one year I was really intensely planning this. And actually that in itself was, that was not ideal. I mean, that was not, and if I could, there's nothing I would do differently on that because I don't think there was an alternative to that, but it was, it was a shame because I really wanted for a long time to get this specific promotion in a specific job on Capitol Hill. And then as soon as I got it, I couldn't enjoy it. I couldn't, there was not, and I just, and that's all there is to it. I really had to focus too much on being those on two things. And so one of the lessons I took from that, frankly, is to avoid dividing responsibility in ways that are unhealthy. I think that that, frankly, that year uh, on Capitol Hill, again, I don't regret it, but I, I remember at the time thinking that it was really a shame that I couldn't enjoy uh, the job more and enjoy the planning alumni fidelity more. So by the time I left Capitol Hill, there was still a lot to do to get the company really in shape. So so it's hard for me to say exactly where it was by that point. Like, I'm sure we really didn't have any customers at that point. I'm pretty sure that the, that the product prob- probably was planned out and in production, but not, not shipped and probably need would have been maybe halfway done at best. That's pretty interesting. I actually want to kind of go a little bit into more details into that specific area. So you're working at Capitol Hill and in parallel, you're working on your software and you're making a shift. You're making a shift from a well-secured job Mm -hmm. to a non-secured job where you don't have any customers, Yeah, where you don't have a complete product. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's in a nutshell. Yeah. Is a is a very big shift, right? Well. So. Okay, so. <laughs> so, so yeah, okay. Yeah. Go on. And and yeah, my question is, there should have been something that really triggered you to leave your current job. Yeah. Right, and go to the unsecured job. What was the trigger? that actually w- made yeah. you shift completely, make a 180 degree turn and say, that's it. It's a great question. Yeah, you ask good questions. Um, 
So th that said, there's a bit of a twist on this. So Capitol Hill is a kind of a unique place and it's kind of, it's, it's unique in particular in the government because when Congress writes a law about how employees need to get protections and when they write a law that says, oh, employers aren't allowed to do this or they're not allowed to do that. They exempt themselves 100% from the law. <laughs> and so technically speaking, there's very, very, very little feeling of job security on Capitol Hill. Now, there's another reason why there's no, why there's no feeling of job security on Capitol Hill. And that's because every two years, there's an election. And so every two years, your boss could retire or your boss, he or she is not necessarily going to tell anybody until three months before or who knows, it could happen at any point. There's so many occasions where somebody, he could get promoted, she could get promoted, they could be appointed by the president somewhere. So there's very little job security technically on Capitol. Now that said, I could exaggerate it a little bit because the fact is, is that when you're on Capitol Hill, you're in a prestigious place with a prestigious title and you do a good job and you're going to be able to, you do have the ability to, and the expectation that you're going to continue to have a, a great linear career trajectory. But from a, a stress perspective, it actually is a very good place for someone who has the the fortitude, I guess, maybe you'd say, to be an entrepreneur. They don't need the, the feeling of stability as much. And so from that standpoint, it's very different than most other, I personally, I think most other jobs, simply because there is a lot of anxiety in general about what's going to happen tomorrow they can rewrite your congressional boundaries. And so for all the voters who voted you in are no longer even going to be allowed to vote for you the next time around. So there's a lot of different reasons why it, it, that it's, it's a bit of, it's kind of a good place to prepare yourself mentally for a job that that's not secure. So now that said to maybe to try to answer the question, it, and it really does make me think was that moment that really pushed me over. And the only thing that I can really come back to is that, so I got very lucky at one moment where I, I read a news article, I do a lot of reading and, and that's helped me tremendously in, in, in entrepreneurship. And in any case, I was reading a news article with this very successful entrepreneur. And I saw that he went to the College of William and Mary, which is where I graduated from. And I thought, what, well, I'm going to send him a message. And so I sent him a message. I was like, this is what I'm doing. I'm putting this together. I'm really excited about it. I'd love any thoughts you have. And he responded and he was like, that sounds very interesting. So we started talking. He then put me in touch with, with his law firm and, uh, and his venture capital firm and his accounting firm and these folks uh, because of his introduction, these folks opened their doors for me that I would never have had opened. And that, and so that then exposed me to very high caliber people. And when I say that, I'm really not even talking about 
just the the benefits that they would give me or anything like that. It was really more, it exposed me to the way that they think and the way they would, these folks were all masters of summaries and masters of getting right to the point and they were BS. And, and I remember being very inspired by, because I've been around up to that point, I've been around a lot of the top polit- political people in the country because my boss was a, what they call a cardinal, which means that he controlled, there are 10 cardinals on Capitol Hill who control the, the federal funding and for agencies. So the Commerce Department, the Justice Department, the State Department, those were all under my boss's funding control as chairman of, of their funding committee. So I would meet the director of the FBI or the, like these people who are really at the top and And then I'm meeting now these people who are at the top of venture capital and business and law and all that. And I was, and frankly, not to just take a cheap shot at our government, but there was no comparison. I mean, it was not even close to a comparison in terms of how inspiring it was to talk to these other folks. And I remember just thinking, these are the types of people that I really want to be like. I want to... I admire how intelligent they are and how, and just kind of how they approach things. And, and I've always believed in the, I can't remember who said it, but the phrase that you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And I started thinking, do I really want to spend all my time with these political folks or with people who are creating things, who are building businesses, who are doing all those things? that are so inspiring. And so that essentially that initial introduction, which led to those meetings is really, I think what made me realize that being on Capitol Hill for 20 years would be a net negative for me personally and being an entrepreneur would be a net positive. That's quite the story. (laughs) There is also, I think a saying that your network is your net worth. And I think leveraging, leveraging the network is a big plus, but I think also you have to realize that like what you have at your hands, right? Because some people have this opportunity, but they don't realize it. And that opportunity just passes by. So I think one of the important things Mm -hmm. is also to realize that, Hey, this is a moment that I have to take that I have to take, right? I have to take it in my own hands. But there are also, I think, a lot of limited beliefs that people have in their heads in regards to building a business or making a shift from nine to five and to become an entrepreneur, right? And do something that they like. So I'm curious, what was one of the limited beliefs that you had to conquer? Yeah. That's a, another really good question. And so for me, I have to think about that a little bit. I've always had a good mentality. One of the things that, just to go way back to my childhood, which I didn't realize was happening at the time, but I, my parents put me in what was essentially a mindfulness or meditation kind of practice. I was very hyperactive and all that. So I'm sure they were trying to calm me down. And it was part of a martial arts program. And so one day of a week, essentially, 
there would be multiple days of martial arts and then one day a week you do this mindfulness and it would and i didn't realize it but it, it actually did give me a very high level of control and calmness and awareness of my emotions and and then on top of that foundation i've always had a, a good attitude and and i've had very strong beliefs in terms of my ability to do something one of the things though that i think and i'm not sure if this is necessarily the direction you you were headed but one of maybe my most limiting belief it's not exactly a belief but i had a lot of difficulty avoiding the bootstrapping mentality. You would, where essentially where you want to fund everything out of revenue, you want to have six months of salary in the bank, you want to have your payroll covered for a year, you want, you need all of this stuff in place. And until you make enough sales, you simply cannot grow. Now that, I'm still paying the consequences of that belief. I wish that, yeah, I wish that I had abandoned that three, four years earlier and just realized, okay, the market demand is tremendous. The opportunity cost of waiting and going slow so far outweighs the, the risk of investing too early. So I think that that was, that was something that maybe I'm a little fundamentally conservative with money. I, I want to be careful. I want to be a little cautious. I admire people like Warren Buffett. The only way a smart person goes broke is by leveraging himself or herself. I don't disagree with any of those things, but that allowed me to develop this mindset of th that I have to bootstrap everything. And I have to, to hold on to, to pennies just really carefully. And that was a, a dangerous belief. And I, the fact is, is I realized it was a dangerous belief and I had to really work hard to change it. And I, all I can say to, to other folks who are listening, who want to move forward, if they can relate to that, then they just have to push through that. You have to, you cannot be faced with an opportunity. I mean, if your opportunity that you're looking at is good, penny pinching is not, should not be the factor that makes, that makes it work. If it's good, it should be so good that number one, it's obvious. And number two, it allows you to move a little bit faster than you might be comfortable with. Yeah, that's a great su suggestion. And I think uh, like you touched on, on a very good uh, topic of bootstrapping, right? Mm. And uh, a lot of, I think what's holding back a lot of people, in my opinion, is the fact that they don't even get to that point just yet. Mm. You know what I mean? So I think a lot of the things that people think about are, okay, is this like a, a good idea? I mean, where do I start? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't want to quit my job if I have a job, right? I, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of building that something that I like, but there is also a procrastination point, right? The brain, the brain doesn't want us to do something uncomfortable. Yeah. It wants us to be comfortable in a comfort zone, do what we always do. Right. And once we go through that sort of, once we take that step to be uncomfortable, some people are just going back. 
they're yeah. going back because it may be it may scare them, right? The unknown factor could be scary. I would say absolutely, absolutely. I should preface that because the fact is, is with bootstrapping is actually a very good model. I love, I do like bootstrapping quite a bit, but, but if we take it to an extreme where we have market validation, we've got traction with customers, an infrastructure, a little bit of one that's already been built out. At that point, we've got to be able to grow beyond that limiting mentality. Now, I don't think though, that it's a mistake for somebody to be very, very careful in the beginning. And, but my attitude has always been, you want to make a sale immediately. You want to, you want to get some revenue. You want to get something. If you've got an idea, you should as quickly as possible, get it into the marketplace so that you can find out, is it valid or is it just in your head? Is it, I mean, is it just an idea that makes sense to you or, or can you make it real? And the only way to make, I remember with alumni fidelity, I remember we, when we started planning it out, we, my business partner and I were very new to, to any of this. And I remember we would make calls to universities. We talked to them about it in the abstract and they were so excited about it. And that was very encouraging. And it probably led us to move to quit our jobs much more quickly than we would have otherwise. But the fact is, is what we should have done is sold it initially. Now it was okay because ultimately the product did sell. However, there's a difference between a customer saying they are interested in a product and a company and a customer signing a deal and giving you money and all of that. Once that starts happening, I think I really push people to embrace it. If that's what they want to do and they, they don't want to stay at their current job, they want to get out of it. If they've got market validation and all of that, my advice is, is to go for, go forward. My advice also though, and th this would precede all of that is to really go through some exercises to be self, to gain some self-awareness about what you really want. I know the things that I want for me, there's, I'm happy when I'm building something and I'm happy when I am uh, improving either myself or someone else. Every day I want to improve myself in some way or improve someone else. If I'm doing that, I'm pretty happy. And if I'm building something and launching something, I'm pretty happy. If somebody doesn't know what makes them happy or they don't know what they're really trying to accomplish, then it's hard for me to push them to move forward with something. So yeah. assuming they've done that, assuming they want to, they, they really want to do it. Personally, my advice is always once you have that market validation, as long as it makes sense in your personal situation to move forward, I generally advocate moving forward. Cool. Thank you. I think it's a good advice. Yeah. And, uh, I think uh, probably it also depends on a few scenarios, uh, what the idea Absolutely. is. And, uh, my thought is when somebody gets market validation for their idea, at that point, you're almost, you're wasting time by not moving forward. If you are, because at that point, almost all of the good validation is going to come from the market. So you, once you've, once that people are ready to buy or you're ready to invest at that point, 
you can continue trying to learn on your own, but a lot of that learning is going to be a waste of time, in my opinion, because you're not, it's not going to be as relevant learning as just implementing is going to be. It's not going to be as fast. And so a lot of times that's where you see people get criticized for just spending a year or two years or a lifetime just thinking about whether or not they should move forward on something. And I'm not sure exactly what they're thinking or planning, but but it, it would appear that they're just trying to learn everything so that once they start, it'll be so easy. And that's never going to happen. I think if somebody really wants to be an entrepreneur and they've got a plan, they've got an idea, and they've they've tested it to the point where they're able to generate revenue, at that point, it, the only next step is to do it not trying to ignore the fact that everybody has a different situation. You've got to make sure you've got enough runway for your to pull things off. I think about a lot of this as a math equation. If you've got a great idea, how long is it going to take to, to implement it? How long is it going to take to give you the money that you need to live? How long is it going to take to for it to exceed the amount of money that you would have earned at another job. A lot of that stuff is really just a math equation and you should just write it down. It's easy to, I mean, there's no magic formula to any of it. It's, it's pretty simple. And once you uh, are pretty satisfied that the numbers make sense and, and that things are realistic, it fits your lifestyle. At that point, it's time to just do it. Cool. Yeah. I like the fact that you touched on a also very, I would say, a unique point of how much do you need to know in order to start doing something, right? Yeah. Because you will not know things. You will, you will not know all of the things to just period, right? And right. It's like driving a car at night. When you turn on the lights, you, you can only see like 10 feet uh, what's ahead of you, right? And it's like when the car is moving, those 10 feet is what you see. So every step that you take, you don't have, you just take one step, right? And you, you implement it, you take another step, and then you implement it, you take another step, right? And it's just like, I think it's like where you at and if where are you going, right? Like you're at the point, you're, you are going to a point B, it's dark. Right. And the only thing that you can see is that it just what's ahead of you, like 10 yeah. feet, then what's 10 feet ahead of you. Right. And I, I think just, that's right you, on. It's just, you're just moving forward to that destination, to your goal, just 10 feet at a time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of boggles my mind how little I knew when I first became an entrepreneur. Um, and actually, that was another thing that really excited me and made me want to leave Capitol Hill, which I think I forgot to mention. I remember a month, let's say, of working on Alumni Fidelity and planning mm -hmm. it out on the weekends, in the evenings. A month of that, I remember thinking to myself, wow, I've learned more than I learned in all the years I've been on Capitol Hill. And I'd learned some great things on Capitol Hill, but the pace of learning as an entrepreneur is just staggering. So on the one hand, there is a lot to know, there's a lot to prepare for and, and all that. But at the same time, it's like you said, you're going to end up only being able to see until you start doing it, 
you're not going to be able to know what's 10 feet beyond the starting point. Uh, so I think you've got to be comfortable with that. And, and the other thing, I cannot remember who said this. I, I steal a lot of quotes from people, I guess, but the good question to ask yourself is if it fails, how hard would it be for me to, to get back to where I would be otherwise? Oftentimes it's less risky than you think when you end up, when you think about it that way. Cause I mean, there could be scenarios where you decide to go a long period of time without a paycheck. For instance, I would never advise somebody to plan to go a long period of time without a paycheck. And so most of the time you're probably going to get a paycheck. And then if in the rare circumstances where you decide to persist in the face of say running out of capital or, or whatever, the decision to do that should be made based on some really good information and, and good beliefs. And that is really the only scenario where somebody's going to end up maybe going into debt or having some real challenges. Most entrepreneurs, you put together a plan. And in my experience, it ends up not being any more risky than a job would be at, some, at, at an established company. That's another interesting point. And uh, I've heard uh, recently that, uh, I don't remember who, but uh, someone said that being an entrepreneur is actually the safest bet. Uh, then, I, uh, versus, I think you're right. uh, working for someone, yeah. uh, right? What, what, I, what do you think? What do you think about that? I agree. I actually agree with that. I think it is. It, so uh, it, now it depends what type of entrepreneur, but let's say you're a, it, it, let's say you have an ad agency. You have, if you have a hundred clients, that is now I, I it, before COVID, I remember saying, there's no way you could lose all your clients in one day. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, I did not lose all my clients in one day, but about a third of our revenue did disappear temporarily during COVID. Um, but again, that is a th now if I had been an employee of one of those businesses, a hundred percent of the revenue would have disappeared. So in that sense, that sort of illustrates why I think some people would say being an entrepreneur is less risky. You could, depending on the type of business, you diversify your exposure. I, I look at things from a growth perspective though. And the real reason why being an entrepreneur is so safe, in my opinion, is because if somebody comes to me and they say, I spent five years working at such and such company and they want to work with me or, or whatever, then I'm going to ask them a lot of follow-up questions about what they did and what it was like and what their accomplishments were, et cetera. That's really just the beginning of the interview if they've, if they've been with a company for a while. Um, meanwhile, if they come to me and they say, Hey, I, I founded this company over here and it generated X amount of revenue, or we launched the following product. And then instantly I'm going to know, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to be impressed and I'm going to, I'm going to already know some of the skills probably that that person is bringing to the table because they were simply able to have the wherewithal to put together a business. And so. Personally, I actually think from a, from a, a, it's safe to be an entrepreneur because you control your ability to be creative and productive and all that. People can be at, at jobs that are unfulfilling and where they don't grow. And that is not something that makes, if you're at a job that is where you're not growing, then that is not making you more employable for your next job. And so I, now, 
again, there are, everybody's circumstances is unique. So if, if somebody's at a job where they are growing, so my job on Capitol Hill is actually a good example of this, where I could have stayed on Capitol Hill. It was a good, I was, my resume was looking good. Like it was, all of that was, was fine. Mm -hmm. From a personal perspective, I don't think I was growing. I know I wasn't growing as fast as I would elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, that, that's kind of how I look at the safety of being an entrepreneur. Is like you you are building your your own story, and you're going to grow in ways that you would never even realize if you haven't done it. Cool. Yeah. So that's that. I would also. So that's that's cool. Uh, and you also mentioned that. There are a lot of there are a lot of things that you learned along the way. Uh, mm -hmm. What was the so I'm curious. What was the the one education source that impact impacted you the most in your business? Um, that's a that's a tough one. Um, it could be you know, it, 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 it could be at the beginning. It could be yeah. Probably at the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning. Okay. Let's, let's go. Let's go. Let's go back so, to where you started. All right. So that's easier. So in the beginning, it was mentors. I was pretty good at 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 finding people who know more than me, and and I'm I'm always very curious and and all that. And so in the beginning, the the number one source of information was mentors. Um, they recommended books for me to read. They recommended that that opened up other doors. Once I read the books, I saw, I found out, okay, these writers, many of them have, have podcasts and, or, or blogs rather at the time. And I found, I can't even remember what some of them are, are referred to now, but I remember one of them turned me on to a uh, guy Kawasaki who had the, the, I can't remember what his book is called, but like the, the it's basically the startup Bible, um, or it was at the time. Yeah, I remember, I still remember it. And now I think this is kind of funny, but it would, it, it would, teach you how to put together a PowerPoint deck for, for investors and all that. And I remember thinking that was really important. And it, I guess it was at the time, but, um, mentors, absolutely. Number one for me was that was the most important source of information. Um, that led to books, the books led to podcasts and blogs and, and, and I would reach out often to those types of people. And then that, then the cycle would repeat itself where I would, I would introduce myself and then, and then we would, and then that carried over to, to the business itself, where with the agency, I would reach out to, uh, people who wrote books on Google AdWords or who wrote books on, uh, digital marketing and website analytics. And I was amazed that it actually at that point, I was not amazed that people would respond. Uh, and, and maybe I learned that on Capitol Hill because on Capitol Hill, I could reach out to anybody I wanted on and, and I'd say and I could just say, oh, I'm from Congressman so-and-so's office. And immediately I could get anybody on the phone. And that was so <laughs> great. And uh, and and I remember when I left Capitol Hill, I was like I, and I and it was harder to get to get on the phone with people. I remember thinking, oh, wow, I really gave something up there. That was really nice. Uh, but I would still do that. I'd still send people emails who I did and, and call them up and, and all that. And so I, I would say there's nothing that replaces that. If somebody out there knows a ton of information about a topic that interests you or that's important to your business, get them on the phone, get them, get, try to make a relationship some in some way with them. And because they're going to know, I mean, I, I love book learning, but it, it's not the same. I totally agree. I think finding mentors 
Yeah. Who can actually take your hand, right? And take you from point A to point B. Maybe the whole path from point A to point B may not necessarily be the full path, right? But I no. think at, at the point where you want to learn something, uh, finding a mentor that can actually take your hand and show you the step-by-step process. Yeah. I think it's very important. And I think the proximity, right, to those people is also very important. So finding finding specific businesses, organizations, or rooms where those mentors could be, I think that probably could be the first step, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've done it in all kinds of ways. And so it's hard to say what the best first step is. I think, um, yeah, if you can find a good group, then those groups can be phenomenal. I really, though, have had the best, I think, the best luck out of just finding people and reaching out to them directly. Because I'm just realizing this as, as you and I are talking. This is not something I've really thought about all that much before. But that initial uh, relationship with the entrepreneur who went to my school, all I knew was that he went to my school. He was involved in this mm-hmm. business that I found interesting. He was at a much further uh, much further along in his journey than I was. And so I reached out to him and, and I shared our common, I'm, I'm sure that I said that I saw you went to William and Mary or whatever, and who knows, maybe I read it in an alumni magazine. Um, but th- that actually has been the best path for me what, to the best of my recollection. Anyways, just reaching out to people in that, in that way. Um, the challenge with, the, with groups is that Everybody at the group is kind of there for the same thing. They're there. They're they've got their agenda. They're. I don't know that I've really had much luck in in most mm. of those groups. I think there are probably some exceptions to that that I'm forgetting about. I, I've certainly spent time at those types of groups and I've enjoyed it. Um, but the ones that really kind of stand out in my mind, the relationships and the information that I've gathered has really come from that kind of one-on-one contact. And it's interesting because um, at some point, somewhere along the line, somebody told me that I, when you're trying to talk to somebody um, about something like that, you need to provide value to them. You need to, to somehow create value in the first place in order to, for that, to create that relationship. I've found that when you do that, um, the results are, are spectacular. Awesome. So if you were to give just one tip to our listeners yeah, uh, in terms of get a mentor, right? So it's easier said than done. Uh, it's easier to say, hey, go and find a mentor. Like what is the one tip that you would want to share with our listeners today that they could take home and implement it right away in terms of this is like if you were thinking about getting a mentor, like this is uh, where you can go. Like wh- where where do you think people need to go to find a mentor? Well, for most people, so I, I think for I think it's probably different for for everybody. However, um, and so actually, my first piece of advice is, and this this took me a long time to really think about, but um, I, I didn't used to think much about personality tests and and assessments and things like that. And I now am a big believer in in different assessments. In particular, I mean, I, I do like Myers Briggs. Um, I think that it's it's good to understand whether or not you get energy from 
having people around you, or if you get energy from being in solitude, or if you, and just, I found other insightful things from Myers-Briggs. And then I've also, I use something called the strength finders test as well. So that will focus. It's a very positive personality assessment where, and it, it leaves you with four strengths that you are, that supposedly are things that you could develop further and that you can rely on in your career. So for instance, are you a strategic person? Are you a, um, an analytical person? These kinds of things are, it helps you kind of understand what situations are you going to enjoy and therefore what situations are you going to bring value and so i would recommend people start with that um once they and then that's going to help them understand should they be um at a lot of networking events should they be maybe doing what i did which is which is writing i wrote blog posts i wrote for other people i did i went with certain strengths that i had to start getting my name out there and to start building relationships with people. And so I, I really used um, writing in a lot of ways as a way to connect with other people. And I think of that in a very broad sense. I mean, it doesn't always have to be writing an article or a blog post. It could be writing an email and do, but, but whatever it is, it's something that you're trying to make helpful and insightful and all that for people. So I would start, I mean, I wish that I had, more quickly understood the value of personality assessments. When I first took them, I remember I thought, I, I remember I wanted the personality assessment to come back and say, okay, Will, you're destined to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. You should be a general in charge of this, whatever. Like just saying, oh, you're the greatest guy ever. <laughs> You've got no flaws, whatever. So um, that's not the right attitude to have with, a, with an assessment. What you really should want is, just a greater level of understanding about yourself. And once, I don't remember how I realized that, but at some point I realized that I wasn't taking the, the assessments in the right way and I wasn't thinking of them in the right way. And so I, I would recommend people kind of embrace that, put their ego aside and just try to learn about themselves and then, and because at that point, because what you really want is a very genuine relationship with a mentor. You want, uh, you don't want somebody who maybe they're famous and successful and all that and great, who you don't connect with, who you don't have any kind of potential for a peer relationship with. Um, what you want to know is you, you want to understand yourself so that you can recognize who a great mentor is going to be. Because um, ultimately, a mentorship should be a two-way street. You should be helping the mentor. They should be helping you. That's what's going to make the mentor excited. And, and obviously it's going to flow more in one direction than another, I, I would imagine. But, but fundamentally, if it's not a good fit, then it's simply, it's just not going to matter. Yeah. Uh, so personality tests, which is a, a great topic on itself uh, that we're not going to touch on right now a lot but uh if you could share the links to those personality tests i think we would be glad to share them in our show notes uh for people to sort of self-assess themselves right yeah and see what their strength is so i think that would be awesome and sort of on a on the next note on another note is i would like to ask you like 
you're working on so many things right now, right? And your focus is being divided on those things. What is the challenge right now for you at your phase of yeah. running a business? What, what, what is the, where that challenge is? What is it? Yeah. Um, so actually, so, okay. So I'm going to back up a little bit. I mentioned that one of the limiting beliefs I had was just, I was over relying on bootstrapping and I was a little, maybe wasn't quite confident enough to really go beyond that quickly enough. And, um, one of the first things I did to get beyond that was I talked to some mentors and I remember I had one mentor who told me that he related to that concept and he, and, and, and his first hire was a personal assistant. And once he got his personal assistant, he was able to double the value of his business almost instantly. And mm -hmm. I remember I was very motivated by that. And, and I hired a personal assistant and essentially it was a very similar thing where I, cause I knew I was the bottleneck. I knew it was a, it was a challenge at that time. This was years ago. And, um, so, um, the, I, I think the, the biggest challenge that I have now is I guess it's very different. I mean, I, I'm very good at prioritizing. I've always been good at prioritizing. Um, my number one priority is my agency. That is, that's uh, the biggest investment I have. Um, I, I, my other investments either are made possible because of the agency or they are in support of the agency. So for instance, I have a podcast the podcast is not directly about advertising at all. It's not about, it's not even really about my, it's not about my, my business, but it is a, a podcast that does operate adjacent to my business and it does support the business. It creates some visibility for the business. So therefore the podcast, which is a, a big use of time, it supports my core business. Um, what I, the, the way that I try to balance things is I, Generally speaking, I try to, uh, to, I, I, I try to avoid almost anything that doesn't help in some way to either all of my businesses or my biggest business. So like, I don't, I try not to take on additional things that aren't going to help with that. And then, and then, uh, separately from all that, my, my biggest challenge in general is hiring more and more. We, we need to hire more people. Um, and, um, that frankly is now we don't, we, we do not really face the labor challenge that, that so many businesses face because we're hiring at the higher end of, um, skill levels and, and all that. However, there's all for years, there's been a shortage of, of folks who have the knowledge of digital marketing and data-driven marketing and analysis and all of that. So hiring, I would say is continues to be. The biggest challenge, if I could, if I had a magic wand and could solve that problem, then I would be a very happy person. So, <laughs> yeah. So guys, so if you're still at a, if you're still not ready, you know, to move to entrepreneurship, right? If you're still kind of at the nine to five sort of, uh, if, if nine to five is still your direction, I would say reach out to Will. He just mentioned that he has a problem and we talked earlier about providing value. So if you can provide value to Will and solve his problem, I'm sure he would really listen to you 
And uh, you probably, it could be a good way to start building relationships. That's right on. And I'll tell you what, I, if somebody were to reach out and it was clear that they listened to this point in the podcast, then that would tell me <laughs> these guys are focused, they're ambitious, but that's, it's true. That's a, that's one of those things where you show somebody that you've put in the time and I respect that. I respect that. So, so yeah, so reach out. Awesome. Awesome. So Will, what's next for you? What is your, the biggest overarching goal and what is the next milestone that you would like to hit? That's a great question. So, so right now the, the, the agency is about 25 people. I'd like to double the size of the agency. I do think of it in terms of employment. And so mm -hmm. for, and, and there are a variety of way, reasons why I do that. And <clears throat> excuse me, um, there are a variety of reasons why I do that. But I think for an ad agency, that is a really important metric, um, is how many team members are there. Um, and I think from my perspective, the character of an agency changes when it gets beyond, say, 60 people, something like that. 50 people is really what we're, we want to grow the agency uh, to, to that size. Um, I, I would say that in many ways, that is the, the fundamental. I'm a very goal-driven person, and so I've got a lot of goals. Um, but if I were to boil it down to one, it's really, I just want to focus on the agency. I want to make it um, the best agency in the world, the best aid place to work. I'm very proud of the low turnover that we have. I was just by coincidence, I was wa looking at a news story from my old um, career path on Capitol Hill. I was looking at a news story. A congresswoman today won the award for the worst employer on Capitol Hill. <laughs> And, uh, do, do they actually do, do they actually have that? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's being awarded by some group outside of Capitol. Okay, got it. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that's what we really surprised. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's, it's an unofficial award, but but it's based on turnover, which actually makes a lot of sense. And and so I remember one of the things I learned on Capitol Hill was when you when you find an office or a business or anything where you where the staff just rotates, just nobody is there for long-term, that should be a red flag. You should just immediately understand that that's probably a toxic place. And um, a lot of agencies are bad environments for, for people. And um, that's the opposite of what I want. I want, I want to create a place where people want to stay. They're happy. It's fulfilling work. Uh, that's my big motivator. I really love team building and, um, uh, and so, and so from my perspective, I'm proud of where we kind of, how far we've come and that, and, and overall that's the size that I would like to, like to get to. Got it. That's a big goal. Uh, what's, uh, what is the time frame you're looking at to hit that goal? I really don't think of it as much in terms of tight time frames or anything. And I don't actually have a number, have, have a date or a time that we're not super, frankly, not too far from now. Because we are growing fast, and we are things are you know going well. There's really good demand, and, and most of our business does come from referrals and all that. And so, the bigger we get, the more referrals we get. And so, I, I don't think of it as a super long time frame. But we have no outside investors. We have no loans. We have no. Frankly, we could stay the same size as we are, and it could and it would be fine. And we could stay the same size and the company could get more and more profitable, higher revenue. There could be plenty of, of positive growth 
without technically hitting that target. We're, we're talking a few years, probably. It, it would be maybe maybe a comfortable timeline, but I, I really don't think of it in terms of a deadline. Got it. Guys, so this is a great information. I would, uh, I would really like you to reach out to Will, for example, if you have already an idea about your business or if you have already started running your business and you need a marketing agency to start driving more eyeballs and sales uh, to your website or if you want to sell your product, reach out to Will. Uh, he, may, he may help. So, Will. Uh, one of the things that uh, I like to do on the show is have a fun round with my guests. Okay. So there are going to be a few questions that I would like to ask you and let's try to think fast. Okay. Uh, so one of, so the first question is, I would like to go back to a, a second, like I would like to go back for a second to elementary or middle school years. Okay. What was the younger version of will look like at that time? <laughs> Gosh, um, I, I think I look a lot like I, I look now. <laughs> uh, I was in elementary school. I would have been I would have been practicing uh, karate at that point. And um, okay. but um, so I think I, I think I was smaller than I am now is the biggest thing. I think I was a lot like I am now, but but you know, <laughs> I, was, uh, I, I didn't have any meat on my bones. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. If you if you were to describe yourself with one word, what would it be? Uh, persistent. Persistent. Love it. What is your go-to Halloween costume? I am not a big Halloween guy, um, okay. so I don't know that I have a go a good go-to Halloween costume. I'm more of of a Thanksgiving eating leftover sandwiches. All right. Well, so if let's say your wife would come to you and say, Hey, uh, we are going to a Halloween party. I need you to put a Halloween costume. So yeah. what would, what would it be? Yeah, I would be, um, so I actually wear, I, I'm, I'm so bad at these, uh, at these short answer questions. Cause I just want to talk forever. And so, uh, my, uh, I, I wear almost, so I wear a black shirt every day. Uh, that's my, that's kind of picked that up from a famous entrepreneur. I'm sure I, I don't wear jeans and I wear, uh, sometimes I change my shoes up, but I basically wear the exact same thing, um, all the time. And so if I were in that situation, uh, I would, I, I think I would need to go to a, a, a costume store and my guess is I would get something, I would go with a, uh, a cowboy theme, maybe something like that. Cause they're the original entrepreneurs. They go off, they do the cattle drives and I, I'd, I'd probably do something like that. That's deep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Hey, I was just in Texas. I could, uh, I could, I could, I could actually, oh, yeah. uh, brought you the, uh, head, the, <laughs> the cowboy head. That. I could have actually brought you one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so say, all right. So the next one is, let's say in 100 years, science fails to save us all right and uh all that is left is a book about your life what would the title be and what would the blurb tell us about will marlowe wow okay um so uh, all that's left is a book about me and mm -hmm. and what would the the title say um um gosh um 
I, I guess the title could be, um, I could do the blurb. The blurb, he never gave up. That would be kind of, that's how I view myself. Say it again. I think we got disconnected. The, the blurb, I, I don't know if this is a blurb exactly. That would be the, uh, I love it. Yeah, that would be the line, I think, from the story. That's sort of how I think of myself. And I don't know, we'd have to come up with, we'd have to spend a little more time to, to, to match a title to that somehow. Okay. All right. Yeah. We probably still, we probably still have 100 years to do so. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> it, might, it might be sooner than that. <laughs> yeah. It probably depends on what you believe in. Have right? you been watching the news lately? <laughs> <laughs> it's not all well, good. Yeah. <laughs> hey. One thing that entrepreneurs have That's is the op optimism. Right? That's true. That's true. No, I do have that. I've got optimism. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely do. Um, still, there are some, there are some challenges. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And the last question. <laughs> you probably know more than any general, any person right now, because you're, you've been very close to Capitol Hill. You probably know more than any other people. <laughs> you probably know more than other folks. Uh, all right. So last question, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Um, I would say don't try. That's what I would say. So I, I like, that's what I'd put on the billboard. It's a Charles Bukowski quote. Uh, and it, it, he says, I think he has a poem. Don't try. And he, what he means by that is just do it. Go for it. If you're going to do something, don't try to do it. Just go out there, make it happen. Um, and that's all there is to it. If you fail, you fail. If you, if you succeed, you succeed. Don't waste your time trying. Um, just go out there and do it. I think it's a great way of finishing our episode. Hey, guys, what Will just said, if you have an idea, you want to implement it, right? Don't try it. Just go, just go and do it. That's right. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Will. And uh, so if the listeners have any questions whatsoever about the things that we talked about, how they can find you? Um, so LinkedIn's great. Um, could put a link to my LinkedIn profile. My website, willmarlow.com, is my agency, and you can email me at willmarlow.com. Either that or going on LinkedIn, that's probably the best, the best platform for me. All right, cool. And uh, we'll provide some uh, links, and we'll have those links in our show notes. So, guys, if, if you want to reach out to Will, uh, ask him questions or pick his brain, or solve his problems. <laughs> yeah, solve my right? problems. <laughs> uh, you know, reach, reach out to him. I like paying it forward and, and I've been helped by so many people who didn't have to help me, I guess. And uh, so I've always, I, I like hearing from people and uh, I'm always happy to talk about ideas or uh, plans, anything like that. Great. There you have it, folks. Now you can have a virtual, I would say, mentor in some of the aspects of your of your life. I would say, if you're just starting, I think Will will be a great uh, person to talk to. If you 
or if you have already shifted from nine to five to being an entrepreneur and you have questions, I think this is also a very good stage for you where Will can help out because he's a little bit further along than anyone else. Will, it was a pleasure having you on our show. I know you and I will be connecting very soon to talk about uh, advertisement and other things. So I'll be seeing you very soon, brother. Thanks so much. It's a great show. Thanks, Will. Appreciate it. Talk soon. Talk later. We hope that today's episode has inspired you to take action towards building the life you've always wanted. Don't forget to leave us a review, share, and subscribe to our podcast for more empowering stories, actionable insights, and motivation to help you make the shift towards your own dreams. Thanks again for listening to The Shift.